Nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Hey, it's cool you're alive. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, you know, when you hear somebody's going to like have parts of them taken out and replaced with like other people's parts, you think, that seems like a coin flip, doesn't it? But I guess not. <laughs> yeah, you know, when they uh, took me back for surgery right before I started crying and my parents were like, what's wrong? And I was like, well, what if I die? And they're like, you're not going to die. And in my mind, I was like, I could die, you know? Um, Are you kidding me? I had my appendix out and I looked at my wife and I was like, listen, I got to tell you something. And she's like, you're not going to die. I'm like, you have no idea what's about to happen back there. (laughs) And I was just having something taken out I didn't need. Yeah, I was thinking about it. You know, they actually, I was, I was out before I was even in the room. Mm Mm-hmm. And they didn't even tell me they, you know, I like to know, like count to three or say, okay, you're going to feel tired or something. Yeah. But I just, I, I remember seeing my parents and then I just blacked out. Hello everyone. And welcome to episode 261 of the juice box podcast. Today, we're going to be speaking with Nicole. She's a return guest. You may remember her from episode 151. Complications are complicated. Today's episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Omnipod, Dexcom, and Dancing for Diabetes. You can go to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Dancingfordiabetes.com, that's dancing the number four diabetes.com, or dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. At these links, you will learn about the greatest continuous glucose monitor in the world, people who are doing amazing things for children living with type 1 diabetes. And my favorite insulin pump, the only tubeless one that you can get. I just want to give you guys a little heads up about what you're going to find in this episode. Nicole is here to talk about her double transplant. She's got new kidneys and a new pancreas. She's going to tell you about the surgery, the process leading up to it, how she shares online about the things that she's been through. She talks about gratitude, perspective, survivor's guilt. There's a lot here. I even kind of come out of my shell about my friend Mike, who was on dialysis for quite some time. This podcast goes on for a while. It's like an hour and a half long. It's an opus. It's very emotional at points. It's also uplifting and thoughtful, and I really hope you like it. After the I don't want to die thing, the doctors were probably like, just put her to sleep. They're like, we don't want her blood pressure super high going into this yeah. nine-hour surgery. Just, just knock her out. Sleepy. Yeah, she needs to get out of here right now. So, I'm sorry. How long was the the surgery? It was nine hours. Okay, so let's uh, yeah. let's go backwards for a second. You were on the podcast back on episode 151, which is about a hundred episodes ago, which makes it like two years ago. Um, I could be completely wrong about that. I probably am wrong about that. Let me look. Actually, it looks like you were on in February of 2018. Not. Not really two years ago, but but a long time ago. Um, when you were on then, you came on and shared about like the different complications you had that were stemming from diabetes. And people should absolutely go listen. If they haven't heard that yet, I'd pause this one, go back and listen to that, and then come forward here. Because there's a little bit of a saga here that Nicole's going to uh, help us kind of button up bookend for us. Anyway, you had um, you had a surgery to have your kidneys and your pancreas transplanted. Is that right? 
Well, so what they do is they actually don't, they didn't take out my, they, I still have all of my original organs. So I have two, I have my two kidneys and my old pancreas. And then I received um, a new pancreas and a new kidney. So I have three kidneys and two pancreases, technically. You, you just fried my mind. I had no, of, all the, <laughs> of all the things I thought you might say in this next hour, I got to keep all my old gear was not going to be on my list anywhere. That's okay. So did they explain yeah. to you why they do that? Because it's just not necessary to take out the old kidneys. Uh, eventually they'll shrivel up and I mean, they don't work anyway. They're like, there's no fun. I don't have any kidney function. So the new kidney, they just kind of tie it in in a different space. You know, your kidneys are like in the back. Mm -hmm. And so my new organs are tied in more like in the front. Same thing with the pancreas. They don't take it out because even though everyone's like, oh, I have a dead pancreas. It's technically not true because your pancreas still has enzymes that are for digestion. So I have two pancreases doing the same thing in that sense. Okay. First of all, I'm super excited for whatever else you're going to say over this next hour. Next time you have a chance, head over to dancingfordiabetes.com and see what they're doing. Make a donation, join their mailing list. If you're a newly diagnosed person, ask for their D-Box. They send out this great diabetes box to newly diagnosed people. Dancing, the number four, diabetes.com. I'm now incredibly excited for what you're going to say for the rest of this hour, because I didn't think we were going to start so strong with I got to keep my kidneys and my pancreas. You were making such a good point. You do see people, I think they're saying it kind of flippantly online. They're like, you know, I'm part of the dead pancreas gang or something like that. Except even when you have type 1 diabetes and your pancreas isn't helping with insulin, it is still doing other things. And you mentioned enzymes for digestion. Have right. you, do you have any superpowers now because you have two pancreases? Um, do you eat something and it digests quicker or smoother? Well, you know, I asked the the surgeon, I was like, okay, so now I have two pancreases that are both making enzymes for digestion. Is that bad? Like, I don't even remember if I got an answer or if he was just like, no, it's fine. Um, but my stomach after I eat, it makes noises like loud. And I never had that before. I mean, even someone was sitting next to me, they're like, is that your stomach? I'm like, yeah, it does that now. I mean, it's loud. I wonder if it's and like I could turbocharged feel it. or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of embarrassing, but it's it's fine. It doesn't hurt or anything. So. Yeah. Well, okay. So I got to figure out where to start. Um, I guess in case people don't go back and listen to your other episode, let's just give them two minutes. Give them the, like a high level overview of what led you to needing the surgery. Okay. Um, so I, so I had type 1 diabetes for 19 years. And just to make a long story short, I was very non-compliant for about 15 of those years. Um, just kind of pretending like I wasn't a diabetic. Just It was just diabetes denial, just kind of, I'm not going to be a diabetic, eating whatever I wanted, whatever, running blood sugars like three to 500, you know, only taking insulin when I was like 500 and, you know, throwing up. Um, and that just led to like, like we had talked about before, serious complications, basically every single one you could get um, besides heart disease. Luckily, my heart is very healthy. But so I, ha- I ended up with kidney failure, end stage eye disease, peripheral neuropathy from my knees to my feet, gastroparesis, autonomic neuropathy. Um, Nicole pretty much got the Wikipedia checklist for diabetes complications. 
I was thinking about this today as I was kind of wondering about what our conversation would be like. And I believe that when people hear something like, oh, just because you see them online sometimes say like, oh, you should get a transplant. Like I know a person that got a transplant. They don't have diabetes anymore. They say something kind of flippant like that. Like it's such a simple process. You know, they'll just give you a new one and this will be that. But you did your best. And there were times where you pulled back. But you did your best on Instagram to put up some pictures of, the you know, around the surgery. And there are like some scary images, you know, and they're upbeat, but they're still like, there's still something you look at and think, oh, I do not want this to happen to me. And, you, you mm-hmm. know, like it, it's frightening. So I guess, can, yeah. you, can you, I'd love you to walk me through the process from the day that the doctor says this is going to have to happen. I'm assuming you get put on a donor list or, or what's, what's the very beginning like? Oh man. You know, it's like such a whirlwind, you know, when I think about just from having to start dialysis until like today, I, I can't even believe like that I'm even talking to you about any of this, right? Because it was just in each phase, it just seemed like I was going to be stuck there forever. I mean, it was just basically when your kidneys hit about 20% function, you can be listed for a transplant. And there's a couple different ways you can do it. You can either find a living donor, which is near impossible because they have to be like the healthiest of the healthiest of the healthy. And in America today, most people have something wrong with them, right? Mm -hmm. Even if it's like high blood pressure or whatever. Um, So you can find a living donor, someone that's also a match for you. You can list for the dual transplant, which is the kidney and pancreas, or you can, you know, get a living donor kidney. And then like three to six months later, you can get a, a, a donor like a cadaver pancreas. So for me, um, I did have a couple people come forward for as a living donor, but most of them were turned away. Originally, I was listed at UCLA, Mm -hmm. which was a nightmare. And, you know, I don't want to come on here and bad talk, you know, any facility or whatever. But for me, I just had a lot of issues with UCLA, which I don't, I, I don't think we really have time to go into all that. So I listed with them first. And then decided um, about, I don't know, three to six months later to go over to Cedars. Now, I would have listed with Cedars Sinai to begin with, but at the time they didn't have a pancreas surgeon. So that kind of delayed the whole process. Um, My diabetes doctor is at Cedars, so that would have made more sense. But then I was also having insurance issues where... um, Can you hear me? Oh, sorry I'm, about I'm, that. No, I, I'm here. I'm listening. I'm hanging on every word, honestly. Oh, sorry. So yeah. basically, um, the, the uh, who was it? It was Cedars came back and said, your insurance will cover the transplant, which is like, I don't know, three hundred or $400,000, mm-hmm. but they won't cover your anti-rejection drugs. Oh. So we're not going to transplant you until you get different insurance. And the drugs that I have to be on are, you know, forever are like $60,000 a year without the insurance. Mm -hmm. So then I ran into that issue. So then there was like fundraising and waiting and getting new insurance. I mean, it was just like, it took me probably uh, a year to get listed and get the appropriate insurance before I could actually move forward. And I was, I was on a financial hold and I was coming up for offers so I could have transplanted a long time ago. Okay. But you couldn't um, afford it or you couldn't right, get the coverage. For right. It. Right. So once, once everything was set, it was probably a matter of 
uh, four months, five months. And then I, and I received three calls. Um, and the third one was my, was my donor. Okay. I have questions. Was, was that actual call? Yeah. All right, hold on. <laughs> okay. Let me, let me pick through this a little bit. So first of all, I think that it's incumbent upon us to let everyone know that it's not this thing where you go to the doctor and the doctor's like, Hey, your kidneys are under 20%. You're eligible to be on the donor list. I flip the magic donor list switch and you'll just be getting your kidneys as soon as it's, you know, able it's, you did a lot of legwork on your own and you were in dialysis while you were doing that. Right. Right. To be honest, there's really no help. You do do this on your own and it is financially, emotionally, physically exhausting and draining. Because I felt like the walking dead on dialysis. Like I was not, I think I kind of portrayed myself as everything was fine, but I, I was very sick. Yeah. My, uh, my friend Mike, uh, was on dialysis for, for a long time. And, uh, mm -hmm. he described to me a number of times the same problem. Like, oh, I, you know, I didn't, like, you know, he was on dialysis so much that he was on, uh, he couldn't work. And then they'd tell him, well, you can't be on the transplant list if you don't have a job. So he had to get himself like a job. A guy in his 40s had to go like, you know, he went to a movie theater and became an usher just so he could look, you know, so that he was employed and that they'd think of doing it. And then he started running into the, you know, the same stuff like, you know, how do I get the insurance correct and all this stuff. And it was, uh, it was really difficult for him. He could never quite pull it together. Um, and, you know, I've never really spoken about it here before, but I guess today is the day, Nicole. Mike passed away a few months ago. Um, oh. And he... Uh, he was, you know, on dialysis and, and doing his best. And he had had type one since he was, I guess we were kids, like 18, maybe. And, you know, we're in our, I'm 48. And he passed away a couple of days after his 48th birthday, you know, on dialysis, trying to figure this whole system out. And he just couldn't, he just couldn't get it straight, you know. Um, so I, as you're describing what you went through, I keep thinking, as hard as it sounds, I don't think the people listening understand that it's not just, you know, it's not like getting a prescription. You don't just tell the doctor and the doctor calls somebody and then it happens. It's a very on you kind of scenario. Yeah. So I'm sorry. Right. I, I didn't mean to bum you out. Oh, no. So you, you go through all of this. How long does that take, that whole process, until you're like, I'm on a list? Well, for me, it, it took about, like I said, it took about a year because I, you know, and I guess since you mentioned your friend, it is important to say like with UCLA, part of the issue was, is that, um, you know, they told me that the weight, so when you dual transplant any two organs, it, the weight is always less. The weight for a kidney only in California is eight to 10 years. Oh my God. I didn't think I was going to make it eight to 10 years waiting for a kidney only. And that was a big reason why I decided to do the kidney and the pancreas. I mean, they offer it to you when you have end stage renal disease. Right. So UCLA is saying it's three to four years for kidney pancreas. And then I have Cedars saying it's six to 12 months. And I was like, and they're in the same region. So what you, what you end up, what ends up happening is the transplant centers make the rules. And different centers want different things, different testing, different this, different that. Uh, UCLA was really pushing me for a living donor only. And they were like, there's all these complications with the pancreas and it's dangerous. Like they didn't really want to do it. Okay. And I was kind of like, if diabetes is what like, you know, made me have kidney failure. If I transplant a kidney only and I still have diabetes and, I'm, and now I have a used part, right? Like these are used parts. Mm -hmm. 
your your original organs are the best organs. Like keep those healthy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I tell people too, if I could go back, I mean, what would I rather be a healthy type one diabetic for the rest of my life or end up on dialysis with kidney failure and then transplanting kidney and pancreas? I mean, yeah, I don't have diabetes, but I'm still, I still have all the diabetes complications. Right. This body, I, I thought, I honestly, I thought that I was going to get this transplant. I was going to be healthy and woo, I was going to, everything was going to be great. And then, you know, uh, two months ago I was jogging and I, I broke my tibias and I, and, and now I haven't been able to exercise at all. And I'm kind of like, oh, my body is actually not as healthy as I thought or hoped. I'm still in the same body. <laughs> Isn't that funny? You know? Yeah. So it's to make a really odd reference. It's almost mm-hmm. like that movie Cars because you're 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 an old busted up car, but you feel young inside, and so you're right. you're, you're, you're taking it out for a ride, going, "Oh, I feel better now. Let me go push myself." Except your body's been beaten up in other right. in other ways. It's it's just it's stuff that you know no one wants to think about this. I mean, we didn't you know we didn't really talk about that much in the beginning, but you know, when you have type one, this is not something people talk about as, as on the whole. The community doesn't speak about it much, and you understand why because you—it's a bummer, right? But we people need to understand the entirety of it without them being scared. Like I would not—I'm not having you on so someone will get scared and think, "Oh, I better figure out how to pre-bolus." You, you know what I mean? But it, it's—that's not a good way to motivate people either. But they should understand that this is not just a random thing that happens, and people tend to do that. You know, like I. I always think of smokers in that situation. You always like, there's always a guy like sucking 9,000 cigarettes down. You know, somebody will say something to him. They'll be like, ah, it's, it's so far so good for me. You know, like right up until so far so good runs out. And you were doing the same thing. You were like, hey, I'm just going to, yeah. this is working for me right up until the day it didn't. And now, and now this is your life, you know? So, right. well, I, first of all, I think it's amazing. And I said this to you last time, I think, but I think it's amazing that at some point you were like, I have to do something about this. And you, right. and you started, you were just, we were behind the eight ball by then. So I want to understand, geez, let me think. I guess I want to understand the surgery itself. And, um, you're, you're, you're really brave. You put up pictures on Instagram. I see your scar that goes from, I don't know how to put it. Maybe like maybe your sternum to below your belly button. Is that about accurate? Yeah, it's like it's like a it's almost mid stomach, but like a little bit lower, and then it goes all the way down to like I don't know if it's like the pubic area or like bikini line, mm-hmm. a little past that. It's I think it's like seven inches. Okay. I mean, it's they definitely like cut you open and, and like open you up, fillet you. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> you know, like, I wish I had asked for pictures to be honest, and my mom was like, "What?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I want to see what my insides look like," and she's like, "That's weird." And when I, I actually said that on Instagram and people were like, oh, I got pictures of my this, this, and that, my back, you know, so I guess I could have got a picture. You would have asked. <laughs> hey, let me ask you, is your fistula incision on your arm longer than your transplant incision? You know what? I think I measured that one too. And I think they're the same, mm-hmm. which is weird because the arm one looks so much longer to me. Okay. And I don't so, know why. And I guess for people who don't know, once you're on dialysis, they put a, a port in you for your dialysis. Some people, I've seen it in people's necks. Am I wrong about that? Uh, uh, what, I don't know. But you had yours in your I, arm, right? Yeah, I've never seen anyone do anything in the neck. Okay. I mean, I mean, maybe if 
I mean, because the, the access points for dialysis are any place on the arm from the wrist up to like the bicep on both arms. They can also use the thighs. So I guess if if for some reason, though, you know, like on my left arm, they didn't start at the wrist because I didn't have veins big enough. Mm-hmm. So I very they, well could be wrong. I, you know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Anything in the neck freaks me out. And you'll see that picture of me. When I woke up from transplant, I had stuff everywhere. I had something in my neck. I had it up my nose, my throat, drains. I, I And they don't tell you you're going to wake up like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they want you to <laughs> um, show up for the surgery. <laughs> Yeah. So, so yeah, so I was just trying to, yeah, I've never seen anyone dialysis through their neck, but I mean, I guess if it was dire and they didn't have and their veins were all bad, maybe they could, I don't know. I feel like I'm jumping around, but would you, can you sort of walk us through a week of your life while you're on dialysis? Like you wake up Monday morning. Did you have dialysis on Monday? No. Um, so, so people either have dialysis Monday, Wednesday, Friday, mm-hmm. or Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. So I was Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Okay. So when you, so, wake, when you wake up on Tuesday morning, are you as refreshed as you are all week or how do you feel? I mean, in the morning I usually would feel, feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also waking up at like two o'clock, 2 AM because I had a 3 AM start time, mm-hmm. which is another thing that i wasn't aware of. It's like, okay, I accept I'm going to start dialysis. And by the way, be there at 3 a.m. You want to stay alive? Show up. at the, Like you don't get to pick your time. Right. You just go when, you know, other Space. people have priority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, but you know what? I, I never woke up mad. I, it was just kind of like, okay, this is my job. I have to do this. And I'm grateful because there's some people that are either, you know, can't, can't go to dialysis, other countries, like, yeah. you know, so, um, and then it was three and a half hours and you sit there in a chair uh, with your arm out and you don't move because the needle is, you have two needles in your arm and basically it's, you know, pulling your blood out and filtering it through this big machine and, and taking out toxins and then putting the blood back into you. Uh, I had severe low blood pressure because I have the autonomic neuropathy, right? Mm-hmm. So even now when I'm, when I'm laying down, my blood pressure is the highest. And then when I sit up, it drops. And when I stand, it drops. And for some reason, when I was on dialysis, I just got very low blood pressure. Okay. So they'd have to lay me down. When your blood pressure gets to be so low, the machine starts alarming. Um, and then they have to flush you with saline fluid. But the problem is, is not only is the machine cleaning your blood, it's also taking fluid off of me. Because at some point, you know, you, you aren't urinating anymore. So if you don't urinate, you're not getting rid of fluid. And if you get too much fluid, it builds up around your heart and your lungs and literally like you will die, like you'll drown. You can't breathe. So that was the other thing is that there's fluid restrictions depending on how much you're, you know, how much urinating you're doing. But yeah, it's like this whole thing. It's not like just go there and sit there. And I mean, it's, it's scary. Yeah. And you know, you can get, if they take too much fluid, you can get cramping. Um, and, and I mean, pretty much after every session, I would just go home and sleep because I was just so tired, you know, but on the days that I didn't have it, though, I didn't take naps on those days. You know, I didn't work when I was on dialysis. So those were my days to go shopping, go to meditation, see a friend, you know, whatever it was, I didn't, I, I was not laying around on those days. But then you'd go back. So you'd go in Tuesday. So it was Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's basically every other day 
you're having this right. process done just so you can stay alive. And right. I, I believe that it's not talked about much, but once you're on dialysis, I think your life expectancy is, is, is five to, it's five to 10 years, five to 10 years on, on dialysis. Right. Right. Uh, so even that's got to be on your mind, right? Like I'm, this is a ticking time bomb. Like I'm, I'm going to live every other day for the next five to 10 years if I don't get kidneys. And, and I don't know how you even dealt with that. Like, and maybe you could tell us like, like, how do you, how do you keep your mind clear and stay focused and hopeful and, and enjoying your life as best you can when, when somebody suddenly turns on a countdown clock on you? You know, one of the things that we, that I, I think I talked about in the last podcast was keeping my blood sugars high because I was afraid I was going to die in the night. Mm-hmm. Um, and I finally, when I came to terms with my diabetes, you know, like years, like in 2015, some, once the damage was done, I said to myself, you know what, Nicole, if you're going to die, you're going to die. I believe that things are already set in motion, that things happen for a reason when they're supposed to. And that I, if I'm doing my best, if I'm taking care of my type one as best as I can and something happens, then something happens. And, and I, I, I did my best. And so on dialysis, it was kind of the same thing. Like, did I want to die? No. Did I think about it? I think we all think about it. You know, like I, I, I've had many conversations with people on dialysis, either because they had diabetes or not. Um, there's other reasons kidneys can fail. And pe- yeah, of course you think about it, but you don't stay stuck in it. You don't think about it every single day. Like, oh my God, I'm going to die. You, you have the statistic. You're like, okay, maybe this will happen. Maybe it won't. And for me, it was just like, what's the fastest way to get off of dialysis? And that was the dual transplant. And that's why I did it, you know, six to 12 months. And could I have died then? Of course, you know, I've got all these other problems. You you don't know. And I I had a a conversation with another friend on dialysis. Um, She's been on and off dialysis since the nineties, had transplants that have failed all this. And um, I said, why do you think some people die and, like, why do some people, why are some people on dialysis three years and they pass away and other people could be on it 20 years and they're like still on dialysis, which is very not common. She's like, I don't know. I think it's just kind of like the luck of the draw sometimes. Yeah. Just how you long know? your body will hold up. Yeah, basically. And I feel like my body was weak. That's why I was, I just didn't really have the feeling in my heart that I was going to be able to last eight to 10 years. Yeah. People do it. They do it, you know, um, but I just. You went after the transplant and you got, and you got, yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think the only reason Scott I lived was because I had this will like that. I, I mean, I, I still wake up. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm alive today. Crazy. I can't imagine you don't think that honestly, because you've been through so much in, in honestly a short amount of time, really it's 2019. You're, you describe in 2015, you know, 20, 2015 thinking to yourself, like I have to do something here, you you know? And, and not only that, I think it's interesting for people to hear that it's not like you were just running around like going, well, I'm just not going to take care of this. You would, you would probably a real fear and anxiety about, about overnights that you just couldn't get past. And then I imagine you left your blood sugar high, then you started feeling normal at high. And so it stops bothering you as much and you kind of move on and time goes by. And the next thing you know, it's years. Yeah. yeah. It's like this cycle. Cause I would always say like, okay, well, you know, when I get married and I, I get pregnant, that'll be a time to like get my blood sugars under control mm-hmm. or like there was always, or like next week or next month or for new, like it was always like something stupid, right? Like why did I keep pushing it off? Because really it would have been so much easier to just take care of it. Yeah. I, I mean, once I was taking care of it, it was easy. 
to me. I mean, and I know some people are going to be like, what do you mean? Diabetes isn't easy. I don't know. I, I found, you know, I ate things that worked for me. I knew how my body worked. I had Dexcom, which like changed my life forever. And I just, it, it's not, it's not been one of the, it was challenging. Yeah. It sucked. Okay. I, I mean, I have, I still have friends now where like, we'll go out to lunch and I feel bad like that I'm not a diabetic and I see them struggling and their blood sugars are going up and down. And I, I know that like, I get it. Um, but I don't know. I, I think that definitely the, the kidney failure, like, you know, a lot of times people will be like, Oh, I saved my life with juice today. It's like, okay, was your blood sugar 20 or 30? Maybe you saved your life. But if your blood sugar is like 60, 70, did you really save your life with juice? Because I was actually like dying when you're on dialysis, those machines, are really keeping you alive. You know, I mean, I guess an insulin pump keeps you alive too. So does insulin, but you know what I mean? Like sometimes it's like, I just feel like, I don't know, no. maybe people kind of like exaggerate things and. Well, they don't, just, here's what they lack. Nicole, they don't have your perspective. Do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. it's easy to, I mean, you know, I, sometimes I, th I think those statements are meant to be flippant and I think, and fun. And sometimes I think they're meant to, that people are really trying to say like, hey, I, if not for a juice box, I would have died last night, except I've seen it too. You know, I, I mean, and listen, there are people who have drank juice boxes. Like you said, their blood sugars are 30 and 20 and falling and it did save their life. And I've also right, seen, I've also seen the people who are like, you know, oh my God, I got so low. I was 80 last night and I, and I'm like, yeah, wait, what? Like you've got, you finally got your blood sugar to a normal spot and you got panicky cause you didn't, cause you don't think about it that way. And so even their right. perspective is skewed, you know, they're thinking, oh, I'm low at 60 or 70 in a, in a dangerous way. And you know, you don't want your blood sugar to be 60 or 70, but it's certainly not killing. It's not going to kill you. Um, and so it's a very interesting thing how perspective keeps building. And a person like yourself who's been through so many things and actually been towards the end, you know, like to the spot where, hey, this really could end for me, your perspective just, it's bigger than most of ours, you know? So you, it's, a, it's a great thing to have. It really is. And I, I'm appreciative that you're coming on here and sharing it with people. And, you know, I, I think about... Like, I think about my perspective of just like gratitude and life in general, you know, when I was 17, 18, 21, 25, even 30, I didn't, I, I, did I love life? Was I so grateful? I don't think so. I don't think I could have gratitude. I could not be where I'm at today if these things hadn't happened. And, and for that, I'm, I'm happy that it happened this way yeah. because I do have a different perspective because I do see, see things differently. And so I don't, I don't blame people for not being able to see like this, but I wish there was an easy way for people to see. Does that make sense? No, like it does. No, I understand because it happens, you know, you hear people say it all the time and it sounds trite that you, uh, I don't know, you get married and you understand better interpersonal relationships or you have children and you understand better selflessness or, you know, like something you, yeah. you come close to death and you have a appreciation for things in a different way. It's just, well, I mean, the, the, in my mind, the moral is try hard things. You know what I mean? Do hard things and, and that that's going to build who you are. And, you know, I just think that that's a way to live and you got thrust into it. And some people, you know, some people get pushed into it. Some people get to, you know, make the decision for themselves. I'm going to do this. Um, it's not, it's just, there's no perfect scenario. 
You know what I mean? No. Like, like, you know, we, we all just can't learn. We can't download ourselves and, uh, into a computer and <laughs> the computer teach us everything we need to know. And then that's pretty much it, you know? Uh, right, right. Yeah. So it's really, um, I don't know. I think it's important to, to know that you are born with a certain set of ideas and standards. Then your parents add their knowledge and their experience to you. You pick up some of it or don't. That's really all the farther you are along in life. And then you have to start doing things and those things have to impact you and you get to learn from them. You just got hit with the really, the biggest one. I mean, I mean, now that you're, your body's making insulin again. Mm -hmm. um, and is it, what's it like, I guess? Like, what's it like to not have to inject or change a pump or anything like that? Like, is it, I don't know. How does it make you feel? Make knowledge your superpower with the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitoring System. With the Dexcom G6, you can make better diabetes treatment and diabetes management decisions with zero finger sticks and no calibrations. The Dexcom G6 lets you see your glucose numbers with just a quick glance at your smart device and receiver. Get alerted when your glucose levels are heading high or low and share your data with up to 10 followers. The Dexcom G6 is covered by most insurance plans. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G6 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. To find out more about this, go to Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. When you get there, you can find out about customizable alerts and alarms because with the Dexcom, you can set your optimal range and then get notified when your glucose levels get too high or too low. You can also share your glucose data with up to 10 followers, as I mentioned earlier. Who could that be? How about your child could be seen by their school nurse and you and your spouse? Maybe you're an adult who has type 1 diabetes and you'd like a friend to be able to watch. Do you live alone? Need your mom? Uh, still? Like, I need my mom still a little bit. Like, you know, she could do that for you. Or maybe you have a friend who has type 1 diabetes and the two of you just want to support each other. The Dexcom G6 has multiple uses, and each one of them is pretty terrific. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Head over and get started today. There are also links in your show notes and at juiceboxpodcast.com. It's a question that sometimes that I, I don't, I feel so uncomfortable with. I understand. But I, I get it. Like everybody wants to know, like, what's it like not to be a diabetic anymore? I, I feel uncomfortable, I think, because I feel guilty. Um, you know, I, I recently went into my dialysis unit to say thank you to the nurses and the techs and everything. And when I looked at everybody on dialysis, I just felt I, I felt sad because I wanted to take every single one of them out of there and fix them. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with diabetes. It's just like, you know, I. I live, I, I had diabetes more than half my life and now I don't. And so a friend who has diabetes asked me that same question, what's it like? And I said, well, I don't really think about it. Um, cause I'm, I'm afraid if I get too comfortable that my organs will fail and then I'll be a diabetic again, because that does happen. Like organs do reject and I have deceased donor organs. So they're not technically like as good as a living donor. And she was like, oh. She's like, you need to like embrace your non-diabetic self. She's like, if you, if you mentally live like that, you're, you're leaving yourself open for diabetes to come back. 
And it's like a spiritual perspective, kind of, you know, and, and then I was like, Oh, yeah, so I try to embrace my new self. Um, I don't have fears of dying in the night. I mean, I didn't realize how much I had anxiety as a diabetic. And a lot of that anxiety was from diabetes. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, uh, and, 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 and when I say diabetes was easy and, and now that I'm saying what I'm saying now, like just, it's, it's like, there were parts of it that were just like draining, you know, just like the every day, like the food, like it was just, it was diabetes is a lot. It's manageable. It's doable. Like you could still be happy, live with it, but it's still a lot. And so I don't, I don't have that now. You know, I, uh, I, I went to Target the other day, and I, I was talking on the phone, and I was, and I noticed the Halloween candy was out. Now I only ate candy before if I was low, mm-hmm. and I, I, I now like I'm a vegetarian. I'm gluten free. Like I eat a very clean. You know, I, I, I still, I eat pretty healthy. Like. I don't eat candy, but I, I saw candy corn and I was like, oh, the Halloween candy's out. And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm not a diabetic anymore. I can have candy corn. <laughs> and I bought some and I ate the whole bag. And I, it was like very out of character for me. And like, obviously that's not healthy. It's like solid sugar. It's like disgusting, right? Like, I can't even believe I put that into my body. It's like not good, but I ate it. Yeah. And, 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 and I was like, I would have had to take insulin for this, or I would have only been able to have like three of these if I was low. You know, I feel good for you about that, to be perfectly honest. I think that's terrific. Uh, plus, you really did eat through something because I think we all know candy corn after about three or four pieces starts to just taste like wax. But yet you powered. Through, <laughs> so good for you. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and that was like, I think after like when I was in the hospital, I wasn't hungry because my gastroparesis is like, it's like going out of control right now. So since I woke up for the last four months, because I'm four months, you know, post-surgery, mm-hmm. I've been getting bloated. I've had no appetite. Like, I've been nauseous. So I think in the beginning, I was like, oh, let me eat this potato and see what happens. Oh, my blood sugar's okay. Let me eat this and see what, you know, I was eating things just to see what was going to happen. Yeah. And my blood sugars are 80 in the morning, and I don't hit anything over 120. And my A1C um, was like five something. Wow. And I just cried. Yeah. I was just crying. Because I mean, for me, and like, obviously, as a type one diabetic, do I think anyone personally should, I don't, my doctor would never have wanted me in the five. Okay, I was, I think I my A1C was like 6.3% mm-hmm. before my surgery, like, sixes for me for my body, and we're all different. And I, like, I was fine. But to have what it means to have an A1C in the 5% range now is that the complications that I have, I mean, it's gonna, like it's that's like extraordinary. Yeah. This is gonna this is giving me a second chance. It's giving me it's giving my body time to like just rest and not have these fluctuating sugars that are gonna make my eyes worse, make my gastroparesis worse, make my like make everything worse. Yeah. So at least like, you're stood still now and you can work on those other things the best you can and and yeah, I mean medically helps. Yeah. I mean my eyes, I had an eye surgery, God, was it last October on my right eye? And then I had the other vitrectomy on the left eye, like a year before that, my eyes are stable. Wow. Like knock on wood. I don't like I'm, my eyes are good. Like I still pulled 2020 in my right eye. Like I'm, I, I don't even, it's like, it's crazy. Because, it's and, so and crazy bo- that I, body's not fighting against it anymore. Your blood sugars aren't elevated yeah. and it's not trying to pull it in the other direction. Wow. Yeah. So for whatever amount of time that this transplant lasts me, be it 
these four months, a year or 30 years, because I'm part of a Facebook group that it's a kidney pancreas like support group, um, which I don't go in a lot because you have to be careful of these chat rooms and people saying things. And But I've seen people, they've had their transplants 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And that is kidney pancreas from a deceased donor. Wow. That's It's unbelievable because like I said, usually deceased donor organs aren't statistically lasting as long as a, like a living donor kidney. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, that's kind of like my new anxieties because I have some. One of them is like, well, what if my organs do reject? And again, it's like, you know, the statistics, you know, that maybe it might happen, or maybe I'll be like one of these people that have had their transplant 30 years, Well, do you, 20 years. I have to ask you, do you, you do you drive? Yeah. Do you drive, do you jump in the car and think, gosh, I hope I don't die in a car accident today? No. No. It's a similar. Although thing. I do, I Go do ahead, think, I do, I do hope no one will hit me from behind because my bo- my bones are very weak and I did get rear-ended like six months ago, and it, you know, I obviously like no one wants to be hit from behind. <laughs> so it, sometimes maybe I have a little PTSD. I'm kind of like, oh God, just don't hit me. You I know, all the traffic out here. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, any kind of you know, any kind of armchair chair quarterback, you know, advice I would have on this is ridiculous because I don't have nope. You know, I don't know what this is like to actually have something in me that I think of as like a used part and that could you know could blow out at any point and who knows if the person who died wasn't, you know, three years away from getting type one diabetes themselves or I don't know, whatever. Like I, I see all of the angles and the anxiety, but I, but to right. the point of the person you were speaking with, you can't live that way either. Like you've got this shot now. Like I think you just have to like close your eyes and run forward and just, you know, make, make the best out of every second that you get it. I, that's how I would try yeah. to think about it. I don't know how successful I would be. Well, one of my doctors, he said to me actually yesterday or the day before, he's like, how's your social life? You know, like, do you have boyfriend? He has like the thick accent. And he said, uh, it can't be all about kidney, pancreas and bones, you know, like, like live your life. Like they, the transplant team, I got to say, Cedars has been amazing. I had an issue this morning where, cause I take medications four times a day, 10 AM, 11 AM, 10 PM and 11 PM. And I've been a little groggy and out of it. So I took my 10 PM meds. 11 o'clock rolled around. I was feeding the dog, taking it, doing her whole routine. And I took my night meds on accident and started freaking out because it's like, these are anti-rejection meds. And like, there's different times for different reasons. And I was like, do I make myself throw up? Like, what do I do? So I called the team and I mean, they've just been amazing. No matter what the issue is, no matter what anxiety I've had from the surgery till now, I, I, I just, I'm like in awe at, at the treatment I have received. Cool. It has been the best treatment I've ever medically I've ever received in my entire life. Mm-hmm. No. And I, I thank them from the surgeon who answers my emails, the nurses, like the person that cleaned my room. I mean, I just I I love those people. Yeah. I really do. I just Well, they saved you. You know, they just they took all yeah. of their expertise and their knowledge and they they changed your life. It's a, it's spectacular. It's amazing. Yeah, and they are very pro me living my life. So when I called to ask if I was okay to have my plants in my room, because I have four, right? <laughs> they're like, enjoy your plants. I'm jealous. Like, you know, if you're green thumb, I'm like, okay, but the soil's not, you know, because there's this whole thing. Like, they tell you all these things, right? Like, infection, you know, your germs. And, yeah. Because I see like in, virus. Some, in some of your pictures, you're wearing a mask. How long did you have to do that yeah. for? So, technically, 
like the first three months are like the critical time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, they're like, you're good. But for me, I'm still scared. You know, like I, and, and that's the other thing that I talk to other patients about. I never, like I was talking the other day about, you know, how some diabetics lick their finger after they do their blood sugar and others like wipe it on their pants, yeah. which I never understood. I was a licker. Okay. <laughs> I never, I didn't wash my hands. I just pricked my finger and did it and then licked my finger. I mean, I did that for 20 years. I never got sick. Right now. I'm like, oh my God, that is disgusting. You would never do that. Yeah. <laughs> no, because it's like, I like these are doorknobs freak me out shopping carts i mean they find e coli on like like people are going to the bathroom not washing their hands and i have no immune system yeah so i could get anything and you know it's just but again you can't live your life like that so i went to the hermosa beach street fair two weekends ago and it was a big crowd crowds is what makes me nervous because they're people are sick yeah. and they don't wash their hands but i didn't wear my mask and that was a big deal so now i wear it when i go into a doctor's office just because there's lots of people. Mm-hmm. I, I have been wearing it at the grocery store. Um, and obviously for the rest of my life, I'll wear it on a plane yeah. or like a bus. Yeah. I was on a bus and I wore it. Um, but I'll, I, now I go to the coffee shop and I don't wear it. Uh, I, I went into AT&T the other day and there was this girl and she looks like her nose was running and she was coming towards me. And so <laughs> I was backing away. I'm like, are you sick? <laughs> and people get like, they get like irritated. They're just like, nah. I'm like, I just had a transplant. So I just want to make sure she's like, it's just allergies. And I actually stayed and talked to her, which wasn't like, I'm working, I'm working through this like fear of getting sick. But again, it's like one of those things, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And you know, my, my, my donor had something called the CMB virus, which like 80 or 90% of adults are exposed to in their life. And for whatever reason, I wasn't exposed. Mm -hmm. So they were like, we're putting you on this med because if your body realizes like you could, you're at high risk to get CMB virus which will put me in the hospital and people end up on a pick line. And I'm just like, Oh my, you know, yeah, so I think a lot, a lot of it is just like, you don't want to end up on dialysis again. It, you know, listen, like, it, like, the neurosis so, does not sound out of line to me. I, I think that it's, it's, I think you're being careful. I, I, I would want it not to impact you psychologically, but I would understand you taking the steps. I do have a question just for mm-hmm. clarification. This all exists because of the anti-rejection meds. Is that correct? With your, yeah. with your immune system? Yeah. So basically what they have to do is they have to suppress the immune system so much that it's like, it doesn't, I have no way that to, pancreas doesn't belong to you. Right. Yeah. Because if it, if you weren't on all the anti-rejection meds, the body would just be like, Hey, what is that? And it would start fighting the kidney and fighting the pancreas, which right. leads to kind of like the next question. People are like, well, if your body attacked the cells that were producing insulin, the first time and you became type one, can't that happen again now? And the answer is no, because the drugs, you're like you, your body's not fighting anything. Yeah. So it, it, you know, it can be a problem. Um, you know, that's why like with the, the gardening they say like, don't garden because there's, when you start churning up the soil, there's things in the soil viruses and stuff that you can get lung infections. And then to treat that you're on these medications that, interfere with the transplant and people lose their, or like, it's just, it's, it's, it, there's a new set of anxieties. Yeah, it's not a part. It's not a party. You're saying you're just, just your blood sugar doesn't get high and low anymore, but the rest of it's pretty much a show. Well, I mean, it's, there's definitely, you know, I'm not riding off into the sunset, but I'm, I mean, you know what I mean? There's medication, there's side effects from the meds. Yeah. 
you know, and one of those night meds that I took right before we got on the phone was my melatonin, which I'm, you know, mm. uh, luckily it's not like some heavy duty sleep med, but now I'm kind of like, Ugh. <laughs> well, I, while I have you dizzy, let me ask you questions about what the doctor asked you. Are you, where are you with the idea of trying to like date or meet somebody? Is it not even in the front of your mind? I would love to date and meet somebody. <laughs> I asked my doctor, I'm like, do you have anyone for me? <laughs> we could turn this podcast into like a little Tinder for you or something like that. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there you go. You know, it, it's hard because I'm in Ventura County, which is like 45 minutes from Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And dating in LA is like, I don't even know. I don't even know the word for it. Like, you just don't want to do it. And pe- I don't know. Like, it's just like the people are kind of to generalize like a certain way. And then in Ventura County, like, this is a beautiful place. I love it here. But everybody's married. It's like a family town. Mm-hmm. There's not, you know, and then all my friends are married and having babies. So I, I don't like, maybe, not gonna, maybe you could just break up a marriage or, or something like that. You could just be a, no. a home wrecker. You don't want to do that. No, 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 no. <laughs> that, that's bad karma. I don't suggest anyone does that. I don't either. I just, but, um, I'm just trying to work within the parameters that you gave me. A lot of married guys. Uh, have you considered yeah. switching teams? Maybe. Um, I, I mean, if I could, I would, but I just, I, it's just not my thing, uh, but I have thought about it, you know, like, look, but then I'm like, grow your no. possibility pool at least. Right. I know. I, I mean, I would probably, yeah, I don't know. It's, 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 a, it's a little disheartening, you know, especially at this age. Um, and it, I think that's like the other thing that people forget is that this all, like this whole process. I was very much doing it alone. Mm-hmm. When you're married or you have a significant other, you know, that's a big support system. Yeah. Did I have my parents? Yes. Were, I mean, were they amazing? Yes. But it's a little bit different, I think, when you have a partner. Right. Yeah. End of the day, um, you're by yourself feeling sick from, you know, what's going on or tired or whatever. And you're in your apartment or your house by yourself and you are by, you know, by yourself fighting this horrible thing. It's a, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, really, we talk about it, we call it dialysis, but think about it. Like, like really think about it. They extracted all of the blood out of Nicole's body, scrubbed it and put it back into her every other day. You know, like that's just to the point where she had to have something put in her arm just so they could, you know, remove the blood and put it back in. And those fistulas, they get infected. Sometimes they, they blow, right? And you have to get them somewhere else. And then there's all kinds of, none of this is easy. Like none of this is, hey, my head hurts. I'm taking an Advil. Like it's not, it's not easy like that. Um, I, I, I do want to ask you, and I don't know if this is, I, I feel like this is like for, for edification, but at the same time, like it seems sadistic to ask, but I, I just, I'm dying to know how painful is the surgery? The kidney pancreas surgery? Yeah. yeah. You wake up and how bad is it exactly? Well, this is, this is what happened. I, I was vomiting. I woke up and I remember opening my eyes and kind of looking for my mom and not seeing her right away. But I woke up in the ICU because all dual transplant patients go into the ICU first, Mm -hmm. which I knew. And I, I had the urge to vomit. And I, in my mind, even though I was on all those drugs, I was like, this is going to hurt. And I vomited for probably four or five days straight like multiple times an hour. And I think it was my gastroparesis, to be honest. Um, they, I was only supposed to be in the ICU for like one or two days, but I was there longer. And I mean, that hurt. 
Because when they cut you open and then you have to throw up, I mean, it was like that, that hurt. Yeah, you're being held um, together by stitching and staples and you're retching, right? And your muscles well, are pulling. Well, actually, yeah. actually just glue. Because my, my, my surgeon was like, we don't, I don't use staples. He's like, that's the lazy way to, to you know. <laughs> I was like, okay, good. Because a staples look like they hurt. I didn't want them anyway, you know. So just glue. But yeah, it was like, it was really gnarly. And then uh, I was hallucinating and delirious. Like literally seeing things, talking to people, friends that weren't there, looking for a knife in my bed. My mom was like, what are you doing? I'm like, looking for my knife. It's going to cut me in my sleep. She's like, Nicole, you're in the hospital. There are no knives. I mean, literally, I, I, that was what was scary. That was what was more scarier than like the pain, right? Like I have a high tolerance for pain. I wasn't in a lot of pain. Okay. I just, the psychological, because they don't tell you, oh, we may give you toxic amounts of anti-rejection drugs and you know, you, I hadn't had anything to eat in a week Mm. and then you're in the hospital. So you can't really see if it's night or day. So some people go into like the psychosis. So I, that's why nobody heard from me (laughs) on social media because I wasn't okay. I was vomiting. I was like, like I said, it was like, it was kind of crazy. Does that happen to everybody? No. You know, after a few days it it went away, Mm -hmm. you know, and I was telling them what was going on. It was happening at night. And they were cool, wow. but they out the whole team. I saw about 20 people every day. My surgeon came to see me for, I was there 12 days. He came every day. Uh, they all did. I mean, it was, it sounds like they did a, a really good job actually. Unless I, I do need to know, do you normally sleep with a knife? Was it a reasonable concern? <laughs> no, no, I don't know what that, I thought people were going to like light the, light the room on fire. I mean, I, and I remember all of it, wow. which is what's weird. It's like, I remember the hallucinations. That's I texted my friend, my best friend that she was talking crap about me. So we couldn't be friends anymore. And my mom was like, what are you doing? I'm like texting. And she was like, okay. I mean, she wasn't about to try to take the phone from me. So she texted my best friend was like, Hey, Nicole's like not in her right mind right now. So just ignore everything that she's saying. And she was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Takes drunk texting to another level. Uh, Yeah. Hey, I have a question about the gastroparesis. So I understand that Uh when you have it and you have type one, the real concern is of course, delayed digestion, which throws off the timing of your insulin. So people get scared to bolus because they think, what if the insulin starts working and the food doesn't get digested, then my blood sugar doesn't go up and this insulin's in there working against nothing. That's one set of problems. What, right. what is gastroparesis like when you don't have type 1 diabetes? Well, besides for that first episode I had right after surgery, I was about a month ago in the hospital again for about five days because I had a gastroparesis flare. And I couldn't stop vomiting. And now the new problem is, guess what? You can't swallow your meds that you need four times a day. And you have to have those meds or your organs will reject. It could be one day, it could be a week. But if you don't get those meds in, you, you will lose your organs. So I was like freaking out. Yeah. So I, so they, well, I, and that, the other thing is I have to go to Cedars. I can't go to this hospital that's close to my, that's 10 minutes from my house. I have to get to the trans where they transplanted me. Um, Basically, they have to take the pills and and put them into a liquid form. And that's not easy because, again, during that hospital visit, I blacked out. As in, for five days, I don't remember it at all. They did an x-ray. Someone changed my clothes. I don't remember. I'm like, I asked my parents, what was, did I go to the bathroom? Was I walking? Like, what was going on? Like, why was I like that? 
they they still don't know mm-hmm. but but they did see that the the anti-rejection meds were elevated in my blood so i don't know if it was that they were giving me ativan i don't know but i just told them i said i need to be aware of what's going on yeah. i don't want to be like that but they they're like we don't know we 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 don't know what what happened so yeah if you're if i'm vomiting even if i just have the flu if it's not gastroparesis that is that's a problem you can't keep this so it, it, yeah i mean that's another anxiety i have right so at that point i've got a phone number for the transplant team it's 24 7 if i have that issue you just call them mm-hmm. like i did this morning freaking out it's, it's interesting though. <laughs> i like i yeah with, with all these things you still uh-huh. seem incredibly upbeat right now and uh, and happy you said you're happy to be alive like it's 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 just very interesting the human spirit right like you can put so many things in front of you and still the desire to wake up tomorrow again is so strong that you know uh, the things you're explaining you're like these are just these are hurdles in my life now they're not right. they're not something that stops me or makes me want to just give up or or quit you're just like okay this is this is what I am this is what I am who I am and what I have to do now I guess my question is, is that, I mean, you, you basically said it earlier, but I'm just going to kind of like, like strip away all the, everything from it and just say it. This is way harder than taking care of your diabetes, right? And even though you were stopped by that anxiety back there, you finally bumped into something that stopped, that said, you you know, you can't, your anxiety can't be in the way anymore. You're going to kill yourself if you keep doing this with your insulin. So you have to move forward. I mean, do you have, like with all of this perspective, do you have a message for people who are living with type one? Like, is there something you wish, like there must be something in the core of you that you wish you could tell everybody that has diabetes. Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like there is. I think it's the same message as when I was on the podcast before, you know, it's just that, I mean, and I've had a couple messages from like younger people or just people that aren't very well informed. And they're like, Oh, I'm going to get a pancreas transplant. It's like, you don't want this. Like you don't want it to get to this point because there's no guarantees. Right. Um, and, and if you can manage your diabetes to the best as you can, does that mean you have to be perfect? No. If my blood sugar is 180 to 200 and I, and I've done everything I can to try and bring it down. Like maybe I'm just having one of those days where that's what it's going to be. And that's okay. That if I did my best, it's fine. Like do your best. Like don't don't get to the point where you you know people end up with diabulimia and all these other issues because they want to like be so low and have like this perfect day when seeing this per like it's not about that. I think it's just about doing your best. Um, did I do my best? No, I wouldn't be in this situation had I done my best back then. Yeah. You know, but and like we talked about before on the other podcast, which I do hope people listen to that one too, is like you have to have tools. You have to have support. And that's another big thing is that I I'm so happy that I made so many friends and that I, you know, had diabetes sisters and that I really got involved because that helped with my management a lot. Mm -hmm. Like that helped a lot. I wish I had that when I was first diagnosed. Yeah. I, I very much hope that this podcast does that for people, that it's just some sort of a community for them, you know, in one way or another that they can lean on when they need it. Because I can't imagine that everyone with type one diabetes doesn't at some point go through all of the things that you see other people going through, you know, the burnout or anxiety or, you know, geez, I I don't want to die in my sleep or what if nobody wants Mm -hmm. to be with me or, you know, all the things that come with this just because they're not on you at the moment doesn't mean that they might not creep up. 
And where do you go in that moment? Some people retreat back into themselves and that leads to problems. You know, you got to sort of have to be out front with it and find somebody else who's been through it so you can see the path again. Like let them light the path for you so you can get out, you know? Yeah. I mean, I talk to hundreds of people, whether they have complications or not. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are really worried. Like they'll say, well, I spent many years not taking care of my diabetes and they want to know like what the symptoms, like they're missing it. They're missing, like, there's nothing you could do about that. All you can do moving forward to prevent anything is to do your best and make sure your blood sugars aren't going crazy. Yeah. Like don't be running two, three, four, five hundred and just walking around like, Hey, you know what I mean? Like people or the, or they, they're at the point where maybe they do have a little bit of kidney d- damage and then they're like asking, you know, and I still think, that in a diabetic community and on social media, there are some what I call the big hitters, like the people that are very well known. And they are, maybe they're doing great things, but they're not talking about the highs that they are having because we all have them, right? Like, yeah. and that needs, like you said, it needs to be talked about. Yeah. It really does. Nicole, I always sort of, you know, I, I'm not. I don't know what the kids would call it if this would be throwing shade or if that's already a thing that's gone now. But I, I don't, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. But I do warn people all the time, like when you're listening to somebody for direction, mm-hmm. if they're not willing to tell you how they're doing, that might be an indication. So, you know, if somebody, right. if somebody is like, you know, throwing up like, you only live once, man, go for it, like that kind of thing. You don't know what that, that's why one of the, I have to say, I think it's the only reason why I share when you hear me say my daughter's A1C has been between 5'2 and 6'2 for five years without diet restrictions. I say that so that you can have the tiniest bit of confidence that the next thing I say is what led me to that place. And, you know, and so you don't hear me yelling, just eat it. Don't worry. Like, like that kind of stuff. And, and I think you should just eat it. And I do think you shouldn't worry, but I also think you should know how to address it with insulin. And you have to be careful of people who claim that you should be following what they're saying and then don't do you the service of explaining to you where it has led them. You know, and, and I hear what you're right. I hear what you're saying. Like there are times that you're just like, hey, you know, be careful because what they're saying, you don't know where they're at with that advice. And and you maybe you don't want to be in that place. I like it when people are clear and honest. That's why I like having you on. I'll tell you right now, while you're talking, all I can think is, if this is your perspective now, I'm having you back on again in another year and a half because you're gonna be, you're gonna be like the Oracle from the Matrix by the time, by the time this podcast <laughs> is done. But no, because seriously, because imagine all the things you're learning right now that you haven't aggregated yet. You haven't actually, you know, folded them into who you are, but you're experiencing them when you have time to live with them. Speaking of perspective, I have a fair amount of it about being the parent of a child who uses an Omnipod tubeless insulin pump. And all of the years and all of my experiences tell me that the Omnipod really is the perfect choice for my daughter. And there are a million reasons why, but you know, the ones we talk about most are waterproof, can go swimming with it, you can get a shower with it. The Omnipod doesn't have tubes. Right? No tubing is such a big deal, right? You don't have to wear an infusion set and then snake a bunch of plastic tubes all through your clothes to get to the controller unit that holds the insulin. And you know, you don't have to pull this thing out with the tubing on it to make treatment decisions. The Omnipod is tubeless. It's a 
just a, a device, this small device that, you know, adheres to you. It, it, it has the insulin right there in it and you make treatment decisions from a PDM. It's a completely wireless little unit. And actually, if you're using the dash now, that thing looks just like a tiny little cell phone. It's amazing. So the Omnipod is discreet. It's functional in an in a everyday real life sort of way. And it just works. It's spectacular. The time it takes to insert an Omnipod is minimal. The insertion process is automated. You push a button and it just happens. It's possible that I can't say enough good things about the Omnipod to truly get to you how I feel about it. But you can try to find out on your own by going to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox and getting a free, no obligation pod experience kit sent to you today. When you have time to live with them, you're going to have more and more to say. You have one. Well, I haven't really told anybody yet, but I, I guess I can tell you. I am going back to school. I just got accepted into uh, California State uh, University Channel Islands, and I'm switching my major at 36 years old from psychology to health sciences, which is terrifying because I've never even taken a chemistry class, and I don't even know if I could pass chemistry. But um, yeah, I, I want I want to take this past just social media and and really be helping people in real life. Yeah. That's so wonderful. that's why I decided to go back to school. Good for yeah, you. Good yeah. For you. That's you. amazing. Listen, we said it earlier, right? And they're not actually my words. They were shared with me by, um, by, by a person who listens to the show who told me that they appreciate the podcast because they, they, they see the podcast as me helping people to do hard things. And it meant a lot mm-hmm. to me. And I, 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 it meant so much to me. I can't even give you the context of the note. If this person ever wants to come on the podcast, they can, but I wouldn't force them to. Uh, but I think that's what you're doing. You're doing hard things. You're doing difficult things. You're you're making, you're not taking easy path decisions. Uh, you're going to make something of your time. Like, you know what I mean? Like you've, you've been given this gift and now what are you going to do with it? You know, and it right. sounds like you're going to do a lot with it, which is just, it's really wonderful. Yeah. Especially because my donor, like he was so young, you know, um, and I, I actually wrote a letter to the family, but I haven't heard back. So I hope I will, but I understand yeah. that I might not. And and so just them getting my letter, you know, yeah. makes me feel happy, you know. Nicole, have, but, we, have we missed anything that you were hoping to talk about today? I mean, I could talk for like three hours, you know me. No, so, I mean, not. You'll be back. Don't worry. I, uh. I, but, but no, I just want to make sure there was nothing like right on the front of your mind. That's going to make you mental after you leave. Like, oh, I can't believe I didn't say this. Um, I didn't want you to have to, uh, live with it. you have enough to live with. I didn't want you living with that too. I guess in case there are any, um, transplant patients listening, cause I'm sure once I post that I, you know, that I was on and there may be people, you know, that don't have diabetes that want to come listen or whatever. Mm-hmm. The last post I did, and I don't even think I really got I didn't really say everything that was on my mind in that post because I, I just, I, I sometimes I feel like I have to be careful. It's that, you know, it's okay to be in this like transition space. It's okay to like be sad. Like people think I, I kind of, I don't know if this is a good analogy. It's like women that have postpartum depression and like after they have a baby, someone that doesn't know anything may be like, well, why are they depressed? They have this beautiful, healthy baby. Like it doesn't work like that. And transplant is similar. It's like, you're going to feel all these things. Yeah. 
And that's okay. And it doesn't mean that you're not grateful or you're not happy to be here. And I think that a lot of times, maybe it's the society, like they think in like these black and white terms, like you have to be this or you have to be that, you know, it, that's not how, that's not how it is. Yeah. Lot, you know, lot, it's not lot, like that. A lot of, uh, a lot of critics, not a lot of people making the art. You know what I mean? Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, uh, I have to say that, um, it just, it's such, it's just really wonderful for you to come on again. And I'm thrilled that you reached out and you were like, Hey, I haven't been on in a while. You should come back on. And I have to tell you, you must've at some point in the last year changed your, your Instagram handle a little bit or something because, or I don't know what happened, but the link I had on my website suddenly stopped leading to you on Instagram. Uh-huh. And the minute that happened, I started oh, no. getting emails from people. And I'm talking about a year or more after you were on the show, I started getting multiple emails You're like, hey, I'm on your website listening to Nicole and I'm trying to visit her on Instagram, but this link doesn't work. So oh. your story resonated with people so much that a year after it had broadcast on this podcast for the first time, there were still multiple people like listening to it every day. So it, it really is, it really is cool. I'm, I'm just super happy that, uh, that you, you're doing this because it just is an underserved aspect of this space that I have not had the, you know, for the lack of a better term, I still haven't had the balls to get on here and talk about my friend, Mike, like, I don't know how to do that. And, um, having you on, I think sometimes I think is going to be the closest I ever get to it. Uh, you know, so I really, I, I really appreciate it. It's a, it's a sad, it can be a sad, lonely place. You know, I've had a lot of conversations or I, excuse me, I had a lot of conversations with Mike after dialysis when he was sick and not doing well and trying to do better with his diabetes and beat up and feeling terrible about himself because he didn't have a job and, you know, like all of the stuff that comes with it. Um, yeah. it's just a lot more than you would expect. And as you're talking, like I'm trying to imagine how, like a, where he would have been if this would have happened for him. And then all that makes me think about is you have 19 different kinds of survivor's guilt. Like, I don't even want to say that right. in front of you. I don't want to make you feel bad that Mike didn't get his transplant. Do you know what I mean? Because you must feel bad about not having diabetes anymore, about the person who lost their life to give you your organs, about all, you know, about all of this stuff. And I just, as you're talking, I just want for you so badly to be able to let go of that. And I have no idea how to help you with that, but I really wish for you that it happens. You know, do you want me to read you the letter that I wrote to the family? Do we have time? Yeah, absolutely. No, please. I haven't put this on social media or anything like that. Um, and I don't think I will, but I think that this might be important. So if I, I could read it, if you, if you don't mind. I think we, should, we could finish with that. That would be, that'd be fantastic. Okay. Um, I don't know if I can read it without crying. So I'll do my best. And this was June 19th, 2019. So this was about 55 days after my, tra after my transplant. Um, <clears throat> okay. To my donor's family. I've contemplated when to write this letter. I wanted to be considerate of your mourning. I kept thinking about when it would be right to reach out to you. I'm not sure if there's ever a right time. Then I hoped that you may be able to find some type of solace in this letter, if that's even possible. I think of your son every day, and I also think of your family. My name is Nicole, and I live in California. I'm the recipient of your son's kidney and pancreas. I was called exactly one week after my 36th birthday. It's been 50 days since my transplant, and I want you to know I'm doing great. I want you to know your son's gift to me saved my life. After almost, 20, almost 19 years of having type 1 diabetes, I found out I had kidney failure. 
my kidneys declined quickly and I was placed on dialysis. I went to dialysis three times a week for three and a half hours each treatment while the machines cleaned my blood and took fluid off of me. I wasn't able to work anymore because I was so sick. The world kept spinning while the machines kept me alive. Life expectancy on dialysis was five to 10 years. I wasn't able to find a living donor because no one was a match for me. I felt in my heart that there was a plan for me and that it would be as it should be. I worried, I worried as I waited that someone would pass away and I would live. There was guilt and sadness in that for me. After my transplant, my new organs started working right away. The doctors cured my diabetes and there isn't a cure for others living with type 1. I no longer have to check my blood sugars. I'm free of an insulin pump, which I'd wear 24-7 that gave me insulin every, every hour. I don't worry about things that were constant maintenance for me with, while living with diabetes. It's a difficult disease because it's so unpredictable. It's caused other health issues for me, and now with my new pancreas, the doctors are hopeful my overall health will improve. I no longer need dialysis with the help of your son. <clears throat> my body is healing and working now. I work as a drug and alcohol counselor, and soon I'll be able to go back to work. I have dreams of seeing the Northern Lights, writing a book, finding love, and adopting a child, and maybe even going back to school. In my spare time, I make jewelry, spend time with my dog, Luna, and I do advocacy I do advocacy work with other people living with diabetes and kidney disease. None of these things would have been possible before. It's hard to explain in words how life-changing this is. I had to write you because I wanted to thank you and tell you how grateful I am. On dialysis, I couldn't walk around the block. Now I'm walking two and a half miles every other day. I feel deeply connected to your son, someone I never met. I hope if he knew me, he'd be happy that he and I were a match. I have so many questions about him that only you can answer. I like to know his name and his birthday. I want to know what he looked like. I want to know what did he like to do? What were his favorite foods? Was he an athlete? Was he shy or outgoing? Are there any places he wanted to see and didn't get to? In his honor, if there is such a place, I want to go there. If I had one wish, it would ultimately be to meet you, his family. I understand this is difficult, but every day I will stay hopeful to hear from you. I like to hug you, but if all you can do is send a letter, I understand. I will keep these organs safe and never forget that not only did your son save my life, he gave me life. I truly believe he and I are one now and that he does live on within me. Since he's not physically here to thank, I need to thank you. I send your family love and light every day. Thank you for saving my life, Nicole. Well, I don't know if you didn't cry, but I did. Uh, that's wonderful. <laughs> my hands are shaking a little bit. Yeah, I, I, right when you, I don't know why, but when you started talking about the things you're doing with your life, that's what got me. So by the time you got the jewelry, I had tears. Um, yeah. Well, that's wonderful. I, I both understand if they never get back to you, and I would, would yeah. hope that they would. Like, do you know what I mean? Like it. I had visions in my head of them just writing down the answers to your questions and stuffing an envelope with a picture and even just mailing it to you you know, without a return address even, just enough so that you could have that. Um, my gosh, I I, yeah. I guess that it. this is a very good place to say that organdonor.gov is a place you can go to find out more about becoming an organ donor. Uh, yeah, it's great. Yeah. yeah, and even at the local DMV, yeah. um, you can be, you could just, it's just a box you check and you can be a donor, you know. When you're renewing case. your license, you're getting a driver's license. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, and there you could do a whole podcast on that. There's really a lack of, you know, donors and, um, yeah. Yeah, you don't need your pancreas when you're dead, people. Give it to somebody else. Uh, you know, <laughs> just, ser seriously, wonderful. There's, there's, you know. yeah, there's so many organs that, that you can uh, donate and it, it saves people's lives. It really does. And 
that's why, you know, like your friend, like it's so unfortunate. You know, I, I, I had three friends die while I was on dialysis and it was hard yeah. going to their funerals and it's, it's hard. And I, and I do feel bad. It's like, why, why, you know, like why me and not somebody else? I, it's I don't, very, I don't know. Very random. And you, you yeah. mentioned, listen, you mentioned it earlier that your heart's really doing well. And in the end, that is what got Mike. He was on dialysis and doing, you know, as well as he could be doing it. He was just uh, sitting in his living room and he and his wife were discussing what to have for dinner and he mm -hmm. had a massive heart attack and that was pretty much it. He spent the next five or six days, you know, in a coma in the hospital and uh, then they took him off of life support and, and that was it. A very, um, very, very strange. And uh, I had just two days prior, we were messaging each other because it was his birthday and, uh, mm -hmm. he was, I said, is it, you know, what's it like, you know, cause he's a couple of months older than me and we've known each other for so long and he really is my, really is my best friend. And I said, uh, what's it like being 48? And then we just joked around going back and forth for about five minutes about how, uh, long his testicles has gotten since he got older. And that was like the last <laughs> thing we talked about, you know, it was just such a strange, like, you know, Hey, how's it being 48? Eh, it's about the same. My testicles hang lower, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. You know, we'll, we'll talk soon. And, um, and then, you know, I, I mentioned on another podcast earlier and I almost brought it up here and I didn't, but I, I've been struggling this year with my iron being very low. Mm -hmm. And so I almost thought to bring it up here because when I went to the infusion place to, to get it, it was the closest I felt like I'd ever felt to understanding what Mike must have felt like going to dialysis, like sitting in this kind of cold, strange place. Everyone's got a needle in their arm because I was there getting, you know, a, an infusion of iron that took an hour. But most of the other people in that room were getting chemotherapy. And it was just a very, felt like a very solemn place full of hope and despair at the same time. Hope and despair mixed together is weird. You know what I mean? And like, and that's what that space felt like. Yeah, it it does feel exactly like that because you know most of those people aren't. I mean, especially because if they're if it's a unit that has older people like that, they're gonna die. You know, like that they're not. And you know, as far as your friend's heart, dialysis does affect the heart because the machines. Think about it. If your kidneys are working twenty four seven, seven days a week, yours, someone on dialysis, their kidneys are only getting they're only working you know three times a week three and a half hours and the machine is speeding things up faster 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 and it speeds up the heart yeah and some people's hearts just can't take it he just he didn't even and, know like he didn't know four seconds before he died that he had a problem with his heart you know and i'm yeah. sure he never really did he had two more heart attacks while he was in the coma in the hospital and uh it was really i have to say the the, the night i found out i mean his wife called me I was being checked into the hospital because of my iron being so low. Like I actually had to go in through the emergency room to get iron just to pull myself together. There's a podcast. I can't remember which one it was, but I, re uh -huh. I recorded a podcast and then I went to the hospital cause I thought I was going to pass out. And so oh. I got checked in, I was getting settled in a room and his wife called me and you know, she and I didn't talk as much as he and I did. And I was like, Hey, what's up? And she's crying and she's like, Mike died. And I was, I was like, wait, what? And it was so weird, Nicole, because try to imagine five seconds before the nurse had come into the room, she was getting me settled. And she's like, do you have everything you need? And I said, I'd love a diet ginger ale. And, you know, like I was like, I was so excited to be getting my iron. I was just like, hey, you know, I'm going to flip the TV on, watch a ball game, have my diet ginger ale, get my iron. I'm going to feel better. And 
So she leaves the room and we're joking around about me wanting a drink. She comes back three minutes later and I'm crying. And this poor nurse is just like, whoa, what happened? Like, I got the ginger ale, buddy. Relax. You know, like she didn't know what happened because the last time we spoke, we were just talking about a, a, a drink. And she's like, are you okay? What's wrong? And I said, I'm sorry. My, my friend died. I just found out my friend died. And she, mm-hmm. she didn't know what to do. And, you know, nobody knew what to do. And she left the room and, and I, I'm like, and then Arden and Kelly show up at the hospital and they're like, are you okay? What's wrong? And I'm, and I had to tell them. So I got out of the hospital the next morning, went home, took a shower, changed my clothes and, and drove to where Mike was in the hospital. And I got to talk to him. Uh, you know, not, you know, obviously I don't know if he heard me or not, but I, I got to talk to him and I went back the next day and, um, and he was, uh, he was in the same situation and I knew I'd spoken with his brother and his wife and I knew they were going to take him off of life support the following day. So I just went in there and I played him all of his favorite music and just sort of sat there. I didn't really know what else to do. And, uh, I just, I felt like I'd been there as long as I could. And I got up to leave the room and I just told him I loved him and I started walking out and I stopped myself and we had had such a great, like fun relationship our whole life. Like the things we did together were just ridiculous. And I, I turned around to him and I was like, Mike, I can't walk out of here having the last thing I say to you is I love you while I'm crying. I'm like, this is just stupid. So I told him the dirtiest joke I know. And <laughs> then I left, uh, which I could never even begin to tell on this podcast. But uh, I think that was more appropriate uh, for the uh, the end of our relationship than, uh, than, than a hug and a kiss and a goodbye, you know? So, um, I just, I do this podcast a lot. I record it a lot more than you guys listen to it. You know, at any point when you're listening to the show, I have 30 more shows already recorded. Like this podcast could go on. You know, I could drop that and this podcast could go on for a half a year. So I'm always oh. recording and talking to people. And there are times when it's tiring or there are times when I'm like, oh, I don't know how this is going to go or my day's busy or whatever. I don't feel well. And I just think, I don't know exactly. I just, Mike was really interesting with his diabetes. He didn't want to let anybody in. And Mm -hmm. it's just completely ironic that his best friend is a person who helps so many other people get their blood sugars under control. And yet he and I could never really figure out a way to do it together. He just really didn't want to be, I don't know, like I've never been able to figure it out, but he just was not interested in other people knowing about his diabetes. So when you guys listen to this and I sound like I'm like, no, you know, pay attention, do this, that kind of stuff. I guess now maybe everybody knows like maybe what my focus is. I guess everybody probably thinks it's about my daughter, but I think it's a lot about Mike too. You know, I think that even if you weren't able to be successful helping him with his diabetes, at least it sounds like you were a really great friend because when you're on dialysis, it is very lonely and people do kind of just stop talking to you. I mean, I, I don't know if they're uncomfortable or they're just too busy or what, but having somebody just call and say like, Hey, how are you? Or distract you with a joke or what? Just like be there, like just show up. That's a big deal. Yeah, that's, that's and I, I mean, it, it, that, and that's, it, it makes me emotional. No. Um, cause it's just, I feel sad, you know, for the whole situation. It's cause it's, it's so, I, it's so real. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, for you. Especially. I mean, I, I, yeah. Yeah, I I walked into my dialysis unit just to say hi and thank you to them, and I I I got choked up. No, 
because you just you just don't want you don't want to be there you know what I mean like you have to you just don't want to be there and um so yeah I I some people it doesn't matter how many times you try to help them or what you say to them even me like when you're in that space of just like you're gonna do what you're gonna do there's sometimes that it just has to run its course and and some people may be like Mike and they may not make it and other people like me will just get lucky yeah, I think that's it. It's a little random, right? So good for you. Um, it's great. It's cool that the randomness fell on you because you're a great person. You're doing great stuff with your life. So, you know, I, I think that's fantastic. And I'll tell you what, we might not know who your donor is right now, uh, but Mike loved art. He was a, a huge fan of the movies. He loved comic books, music. You know, if you do something this weekend, you know, go see a movie and think of my friend who would love to have been in a movie. He just, he's the kind of guy that if he couldn't get somebody to go with him, he would just go by himself. He just, he didn't care. I, 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 I said at his funeral that most of the things in my life that I stretched to when I was younger were because of Mike. Like Mike would, he would take me to movies that I, I never would have gone to on my own. He'd help me, have me listen to music. I never would have listened to on my own, like thoughts and ideas and books. He just, he stretched me out when I was younger. You know what I mean? Like he got Mm -hmm. me out of my comfort zone and, um, and he, and there was no, like, there was no like embarrassment ever about the level of what it was or what it wasn't. You know, like he took me to clerks for the first time. Like my first Kevin Smith movie was like, you have to see this. And I was like, okay, it's not a movie I would have went to uh, back then. I, I came home from work one day on a Friday afternoon and, uh, I was, I used to work in a sheet metal shop when I was younger. And so I was, I was just dirty in a way that's hard to put into words. And Mike is sitting on the hood of his car outside of my house, like a five-year-old and it's Christmas, you know? And and I'm like, uh, I'm like, what are you doing here? And he goes, you could go get a shower. We got to go. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, I got tickets for a movie. We got to go, man. Let's go. And I'm like, Mike, I'm exhausted. He's like, shut up, get in the shower, get down here. We got to go. And I was like, all all right. Uh, so I, I'm, we're in the car and we're driving along. I said, Mike, where are we going? He goes, you have got to see the nightmare before Christmas. I was like, Mike, are you taking me to a cartoon? Cause we're like adults and it's Friday. And he's like, shut up. You have to see this. And it's just, it was amazing. Like this stop motion art and something that I would have never appreciated in my early twenties. And Mike was like, no, you have to see this. It's beautiful. Like, like, look at all the work that went into this. It's amazing. You know? Mm-hmm. And he just saw the world in a different way. He was a voracious reader. He was just always chewing through a book constantly. He's the, you know, the first guy I knew who was like, British humor is funny. Here's why. And he like, you know, just over and over and over again, he was just a really wonderful, kind hearted person. And, uh, you know, we've done so many weird things together that we'd become the repository of like memories for each other. Like there were times where he'd start telling me a story and I was like, that's fascinating. Like, when did that happen? He goes, that was you and me. And I was like, get out of here. You, you know, like, like he was, you know, like, I was like, are you serious? We've done so many crazy things together. So somewhere, you know, those people need to be, uh, remembered, you know? And, and so of course. everybody's got somebody like that in their life. So I say, spend a couple minutes this weekend thinking about them and, and, uh, you know, and then one day, hopefully you'll get to visit one of those places that your donor wanted to go to. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. All right, Nicole. If anybody made it this far, we should probably put the suicide prevention hotline number in here uh, because, mm-hmm. <laughs> because this is sad. Uh, but um, but I'm really glad you did this. And uh, like I said, I'd like to wait a, an appreciable amount of time and do it again. I think following your your path along for as long as I have this podcast, I think is a very good idea. 
Well, and if anybody listening wants a visual, I, I don't know, I don't, Scott, I don't know if you know this, but I, I did, I'm going to be on a documentary about type one and type two diabetes and like the difference. And they've been following me for a year. So there will, like they came to the hospital um, and it's going to be a PBS documentary. Uh, it's going to air nationwide April, 2020. Oh, so amazing. yeah, so I'm, I'm excited. Hopefully I don't get cut in any bad way, but I don't think that I will because the team was amazing and they really, they really want to show people what living with type one and type two diabetes is all about. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for that. Yeah. So. Well, I, when the time comes, you make sure you reach out to me and I'll make sure I remind everybody, but until then they should follow you on Instagram, right? What's your Instagram handle? It's Nick gets real. So N I C G E T S. R-E-A-L. And there'll be a link in your show notes and at the juiceboxpodcast.com for the entry for, for Nicole's episode. All right, Nicole, thank you so much. I'm going to hang up and say goodbye to you for real. So uh, thank you so much. Okay. For thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Me too. Okay. Is everybody okay? Got your tissues thrown away and pulled yourself together? I want to thank Nick for coming on the show and for sharing this incredibly personal story with us. Please don't forget to check her out on Instagram. Nick gets real on Instagram. There's a link in your show notes. I want to thank Omnipod, Dexcom, and Dancing for Diabetes for making this podcast possible. I don't think stories like this get told enough. I think we need the air to do it in, you know what I mean? The flexibility of the time, you know, everybody's always like, I'm doing this thing for diabetes. So we're going to talk about, you know, all the tropes, everything that everybody talks about, about diabetes. But when you have something like the juice box podcast, it's been running for five plus years and there's no end in sight. You can start stretching your legs and finding other topics and digging a little deeper and telling the stories that maybe are not comfortable to hear all the time. So thank you very much. If you want to support the sponsors, of course, there are links at juiceboxpodcast.com in your show notes, or you can just type in the, the vanity URLs that I say over and over and over again. I think this is officially our longest episode ever. I hope you enjoyed it. I want to remind you that if you're enjoying the Juicebox podcast, that you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes right where you're listening. I very much appreciate all the five-star ratings and the amazingly personal reviews that you guys take time to write. Not just like, I love the podcast, there's real depth to them, and that means a lot to me. I want to also remind you that I've started a private Facebook discussion group where listeners are helping each other and uh, supporting each other. So check us out on Facebook. It's Bold with Insulin on Facebook, then you just have to ask to join the private group. I think there's a link in the show notes for that as well. This episode of the podcast is dedicated to my best friend, Mike, to Nicole's donor and the donor's family, to Adam and to everyone who does hard things. I hope you all continue to be bold or to find the courage to be. And remember that these difficult things that we do, they really do build our perspective. And often they allow us to see the world a little more clearly. So... Do hard things.